And they say, come. The other way primarily in the United States of seeing it is this language of welcoming, because no church communicates that they're unwelcoming. <laughs> All churches say they're welcoming, but non-affirming. The, the challenge is, is that very few churches will be really clear of what they mean in that language. Okay, so if you're welcoming, what does that mean? Where can you participate? Where can you not? What will you do? What won't you do? Most churches do not want to share that because they know it hurts people. And they know it offends people. And they know people think differently about this. And so my friend Danny was like, man, churches need to be clear. And so we, we hope to give some clarity today on our part. But with that, not every question is answered. And so our clarity is not every question answered. You're like, you didn't talk about this or this or this or this. And it's like, yeah, I didn't. There's so many questions. What I love about Jesus, when Jesus gets asked questions, he has an answer, but it's more like a response. And most of the time you look at Jesus, did he answer the question? And usually he drives to another question, but he responds. Today, we're going to be trying to give clarity that is in some way an answer, but really it's a response. It's a response to how we see Jesus moving in this world, how we see the Spirit moving, and how we see the early church moving. And so that's the aim for today. If anybody claims to be able to answer all of your questions, run away from them quickly. Life does not work that way. And so... Let's start with some definitions. Nasha, who's one of our elders, and she taught, and she's wonderful, and she's been teaching me of this. When Nasha teaches, she's like, let's get some definitions. So I've been following Nasha's lead with some definitions today, and, and some of these are super clear. Some of you kind of know, but maybe some of them aren't. And so this, may, this is just helpful. These are standard definitions that you can find in dictionaries and things like that. So the first one um, is this, heterosexual. A person who is sexually or romantic, romantically attracted exclusively to people of the other sex. Cisgender. This might be a new term for you. I know this wasn't one that I grew up um, hearing and raised by, but cisgender is denoting or relating to a person whose gender identity corresponds with the sex registered for them at birth. Does that make sense? So the cisgender for us is like, you, when you were born, they looked at you and they said, you're male. If you were born, they looked at you and they said, you're female. And that corresponds with that at birth. And you're like, oh, that's cisgender. The majority of people fit into these two categories, heterosexual and cisgender. They are the sexual majority. That's how I'm using that language, sexual majority. But with that, there is a sexual minority. And these definitions will help us with that. So LGBTQ+. This stands for lesbian, gay, bisexual, transgender, intersex, queer, questioning, asexual, and many other terms, such as non-binary and pansexual. So it, it's in some way um, catching a lot of terms within that of sexual and gender minorities. Transgender, a person who feels a sense of disconnection between their sex and gender identity. And the final one, oh, well, not the final, but two more. Gender dysphoria, a state of severe distress or unhappiness 
caused by feeling that one's gender identity does not match one's sex as registered at birth. And so these things are real. Gender dysphoria and transgender are experienced, majority of people experience them as children. There's debates and there's issues and there's questions, but these are people. The challenge with some of these things is that people's response is either to think that this conversation is gross or glamorous. Somehow to think that, um, oh, this is sick, this is weird, I can't believe we're even talking about it, or glamorous. This is popular and trendy. Neither of these are true. It's an important conversation, dealing with real people. One more term, intersex. Intersex is noting or relating to a person having productive organs, genitals, hormones, or chromosomal patterns that do not fall under typical definitions of male and female. So when we look at sort of biological sex as male and female, as there's, there's two categories. That actually isn't true. What is true, biologically, there's three. Male, female, and intersex. Intersex saying, hey, certain things aren't matching. It's not clear. These, um, for, the, it, for those who fit within intersex, it's sometimes it's visible at birth. Sometimes at puberty, and sometimes it's not visible at all. Now, when it comes to biology, male and female are the majority. But the most recent statistics, when they talk about people born in that category of intersex, is about 1.7%. That's the same percentage as redheads. And I know a few redheads here. I even greeted a little redheaded blue-eyed boy this morning who was going upstairs. So those are some definitions. Those categories, the second one, when we talk about transgender, LGBTQ+, gender dys dysphoria, and the intersex, these are sexual and gender minorities. They don't fit into the majority. And so I just want to give those definitions that just sort of help us to understand some categories today. Now, I want to do two more things. First, I want to communicate to you the policies of Genesis the Church. I want to talk to you about our people, and then I want to talk to you about some things that are personal. And then I want to paint, I want to step back and go into the scriptures with Jesus, the early church, as having this posture of all-inclusive. Having this, this, this move where they are moving towards people, not answering all the questions, but this beautiful move towards especially gender and sexual minorities with a posture of inclusion and full inclusion. So that's what the rest of today wants to be. So first, because this is the idea that clarity is kindness, so let me start with this. Communities of faith have policies. The policies are how you function. Our policies are full, full inclusive. Our policies are fully affirming. What we mean by that when we say that as our policies, they mean this, we do not discriminate against um, people's sexual orientation and, and, and anything. They can participate fully in the life of the church and all of the sacraments of the church. 
from baptism, communion, marriage. So our policies are affirming. We don't discriminate. Those are the policies of the church. Full participation in the life of the church, just as you are. There is no restriction from full participation. So that's the policy. So then, so, but the question comes when they say, oh, so you get that as a question. So are you an affirming church? And so the answer, the clarity is, yes, our policies are. But our people are in all different places. And so when they ask the question, what about your church? Are you affirming? And so I like to say, this is not meant to be nuanced. It's just to mean that we're a diverse community of people who see the scriptures and see things differently. And so the people have a wide range of beliefs on a whole bunch of different stuff. And so when it comes to every person in the church being affirming, we are not. This is not our story. So when I talk about policy, I say that we are affirming. But our people, we're not on the same place as this. We're in different places in regard to how we read the scriptures and to what we believe is God's best. But we are fully inclusive. This is a posture. This posture of full inclusion means that disagreement is not rejection. It's not rejecting people for the sake of it. As the leadership of the church, we felt like that being fully affirming in our policies was the best approach to emulate the heart and the character of Jesus and God in the world, creating space for people for the sake of their flourishing as humans. We know that the people of Genesis don't always maybe see exactly the same, and we, like, we make space for people to see it differently. The reality is we have a ton of different things that we see differently from each other, and most of those do not create a kind of tension and inner turmoil that this one does. The people of Genesis see this differently, but we're fully inclusive. So when I talk about this, and this is the language I use to describe our church. Oh, for our church, we have policies that are affirming, but we have people who see things differently. But one thing we, we don't see differently is that people should be included at all levels. So we're fully inclusive. Does that, if you have questions, you can email me. I, I will answer it. I'm not, that wasn't a, that was not a, um, like, let me put that in my office bin, the trash can. Like, no, 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 no. No, we, we the, the, the reality is, is that you are already doing this as people. That you're already including each other in your disagreements. You're already loving each other like this. This is not a change. The only thing we're communicating clearly today is about our policies. And just to let you know those policies, you can, you can disagree with those policies, but we have a posture, and our posture is all-inclusive. So if we have the policy, we have the people. Oh, the, just back to the idea of, of, of our people. Um, the reality is there's these ditches that you can get swung into. And just let it be known here that if you disagree on this, you read the scriptures differently. Say you're not affirming in the way that you read the scriptures. We know that you do not hate. You're not a bigot for this. You can disagree. The people here who disagree, you already love. 
you already include. And the conversations that I have with the majority of people who see this differently, I say, we don't need you to change anything. You love people beautifully, continue to love. Jesus said, you're, you're living out. The commandment said that this is how you'll be known. This is how the world will recognize that you're one of my disciples by the way you love each other. Jesus himself said, hey, what's easier to love someone just like you, exactly like you, who thinks just like you, who actually gives you money on the side and takes you to lunch? Or is it, is it harder to love someone who doesn't think like you and acts differently than you and who sees the world differently than you? Which love looks like Jesus? Most communities aren't doing this, and it's disgusting. It's disgusting when everyone, it's boring, and it's ugly when everyone has to think exactly alike. When the love of Jesus doesn't become the highest ethic of embracing each other. Okay, so that's, so we know that if you see it differently, you will not be um, spoken down on in any way because we know you love. Now that doesn't mean that if someone comes into our community and begins to create harm, because they do, that we will not move to them and, and silence a person who's, but that would happen in any relationship that we would have. So policies, people, and then personal. It gets personal. There's personal stories everywhere. There's such a diversity of story among us. of how this conversation applies to you, your family, your friends, your parents, your siblings, your kids, your grandkids, your coworkers, your spouse. Some of those stories are painful. And I'm being moved just thinking about them. <laughs> because in the holiness of sharing personal story, you've shared your pain and your scars. You've shared the pain of rejection. You've shared the pain of being removed from church communities because you said you're gay. When you were born there and served there, they were your people, your family. And yet, in their posture, they said otherwise. Being removed from opportunities to serve the body of Christ and others, the personal stories of being rejected by parents. The personal stories of your children who have been bullied and mistreated. Uh, the personal stories that you have that you're, you're, you and your family fit into the total sexual majority, but yet you disagree on this conversation within your household and it creates conflict. We know personally that um, there's been great pain 
toward queer Christians by the church, and even our church. And for so many that I know and experience, their faith is astounding. Because they do not give up on Jesus. And the reality is Jesus said that he would never give up on them. There's a personal story. I and we have a personal story here at Genesis as well. About seven years ago, we talked about this, maybe seven or eight. And at that time, we, we, we stood in a community that was divided. And we said, this conversation around LGBTQ, it's disputable. We stood before the church and we said, you can disagree on this and be in good standing with Jesus. That uh, if, if you're gay, if you're transgender, if, that, if, if you're married, well, you can be invested in and you can lead and be empowered and release in the full capacity of the church. At that time, we did not speak about marriage seven years ago. We also said that we, you can disagree on this topic. And as one of the case studies of that, Nate and I stood up there together and we say, we disagree. We stood before you and said, Nate sees it, it's a full affirming, no restriction, no issue. And at that time, I was saying, hey, I, I, I think it's a sin. I don't think this is God's best. We disagree on this, but, but we can move together in this. We can pursue Jesus together. This is a disputable matter. And you can disagree and still be in good standing with Jesus. This is not a salvation issue in any way. So we brought some clarity on that. Not full clarity. But over the past seven years, just so personally, I've changed my mind. I'm not sure if I know completely when it happened or how it happened. But I know all along the way, I've been working with people, engaging, reading scriptures, uh, going in school, uh, going to Ruth Ellis Center in Detroit was really impactful for me which is um, an LGBTQ resource for youth and teen who get rejected and put out of their homes for homeless youth. And, and just reading and learning about that, I just know that I read the scriptures differently. And maybe it was about a year ago, I go to Nate and I say, Nate, just so you know, I've changed my mind on this. You know how we had the story and, and we were the case study for a church who could disagree about this? I, I'm not disagreeing anymore. I don't know what that means. I don't think we, you know, but that time I just was like, hey, just so you know, because if, if that's the story we're telling about our community, it's not accurate anymore. It does not mean that it's not accurate for our community that we have people who disagree. We do. Our leaders, our elders, and that we're in different places. We see things differently. We believe it's disputable. But we believe that all inclusive is clearly the way to go. That we can think differently and be together. Now, Nate and I, on this topic, we agree. But we disagree on a ton of other things. So it's not like we're like, everything that we think is, is the same. And if you want to know what we disagree with, you should join us in the morning when we read the scriptures together. Because we, we disagree, we, we see things differently in our thoughts and ideas. Just a couple of words on Nate. <laughs> I said... I say that, like, it's going to be funny, but I'm trying to hold in my tears, you know, a little bit, because I love him so much. I'm 
crying more than Joel Osteen today. <laughs> Jesus, help. <laughs> All right. A couple words on Nate. <laughs> Nate has been serving and leading this church for 15 years. And in that 15 years, he's been fully affirming the entire time he was here. And at times, this has created great conflict for him. And at times, our posture and our policies create hurt to people who he knew deeply and loved deeply. But for 15 years, he was like, we don't have to sever a relationship. This looks like Jesus. Let's continue to go together. We can see this differently. Let's move together in this. He's a beautiful case study of what it is to live in the tension, but to move towards Jesus together with people who think differently. Yeah. So, just a few things on that. We can think differently and we can move together. Now, there's a big reason why we're talking about this. This isn't super important. When inclusion, as we're kind of saying today, doesn't happen, people are threatened and at risk. These are what the numbers tell us. You can check this out on the Trevor Project. When we're not inclusive, People's lives are at risk. Now, the first thing is, is that, as we even mentioned this morning, for we even heard stories of suicide within our community that were shared during the testimony time. We heard the stories of Sam sharing about his friend who's going to come out and he's going to speak to his family at Thanksgiving about being gay. Those are heavy moments. Suicide is the second leading cause of death among young people. Ages 10 to 24. But LGBTQ youth are more than four times as likely to attempt suicide than their peers. It's super high. It's unacceptable. The Trevor Project estimates that more than 1.8 million LGBTQ youth, this is 13 to 24, seriously consider suicide each year in the U.S. And at least one attempts suicide every 45 seconds. In the 2022 National Survey on LGBTQ health and mental, uh, youth mental health, found that 45% of the LGBTQ youth seriously considered attempting suicide in the past year, including more than half of transgender and non-binary youth. And here's this final note. You can see all the stats on the trevorproject.org. Having at least one accepting adult. Accepting doesn't mean that you say, I read the scriptures this way and I'm affirming. Accepting means you love them and accept them just as they are. You're embracing them and welcoming them. The opposite of accepting is rejection. People who have at least one accepting adult can reduce the risk of suicide attempt among LGBTQ youth by 40%. This is important. But also we're here to be able to embrace this discomfort of knowing that we disagree as a people or that not all of our questions are answered. When we talk about this discomfort, I, I, when I read the scriptures with people in the morning, there's one person even in the last week said something like, I wish Jesus would just come back and make it clear. And the thing that they were wanting Jesus to make clear about was the posture of the church of LGBTQ people. 
That was the thing that they were feeling such struggle with. And this person is not fit within a, in a sexual minority or gender minority themselves. But yet they're kind of saying, it just seems so unclear. I just wish Jesus would make it clear. The reality is, is not, ev- not every question is answered. But I believe that Jesus and the early church show us a response towards sexual and gender minorities. And I want to share this this morning now. Now, one, one person who, is, who popped my eyes open to a few of this is a pastor in Austin, Texas named Zach Lambert, who teaches at a church called Restore Austin. So I want to look at the life of Jesus here. And this is in Matthew 19. Jesus has been asked about divorce and marriage. And in first century Israel, they're like, can a man divorce his wife for any reason? This is what Jesus is being asked. Because some believe that, you know what, if you were just unhappy with your spouse, you could just write her a certificate, send her away. So can you divorce for any reason? That's the context and the question which Jesus is answering. He says, no, you can't for any reason at all. Um, but if there's unfaithfulness, you can. And, and, and he goes into it. And then he references this in his, in his teaching. Well, after he says that, the disciples say, whoa, if we can't just divorce a wife for any reason, it's probably better we don't get married. You think they got some issues? <laughs> you think that, that the, the community in the context in first century Israel was a little bit flawed in their views? So they kind of say, is it best for us to not even get married at all? We can't divorce our wives for any reason? And then Jesus responds in this really interesting way. This is in 1911. Not everyone can accept this word, but only those to whom it's been given. For there are eunuchs who were born that way, and there are eunuchs who have been made eunuchs by others, and there are those who choose to live like eunuchs for the sake of the kingdom of heaven. The one who can accept this should accept it. And you're kind of like, huh? So a eunuch, right, um, primarily is somebody who has been castrated, either by choice, by punishment, or by others. Sometimes it happened to an individual um, because they were going to work in a harem, and they thought that he was going to remove their sexual desire. Sometimes they thought in different careers like finance that having uh, less of a sex drive makes you more trustworthy. Um, And so people found themselves as eunuchs in, in different ways. The term is bigger than just someone who has been purely castrated, but even in Jesus here, he describes eunuchs with very broad language and different categories of eunuchs. I think this is just interesting. Just take a note that Jesus is referencing eunuchs, and he's referencing them using a broader conversation. Some are born this way. Intersexual a sexual or gender minority. Some are born that way. Some are made that way. Either punishment or forced or whatever it might be. Assume others choose this for themselves for the sake of the kingdom. I believe he's referencing celibacy. At that time, I believe of something of that matter. But what's so interesting is that Jesus is referencing sexual and gender minorities. And he doesn't condemn them. He doesn't speak poorly about them. But he fully references it. Now, don't think that that's like the bullseye for Jesus' heart of inclusion, so let me take this even further. 
Jesus references eunuchs in a broader way, but in this we have to take note of, he is referencing gender and, and um, sexual minorities. Jesus knows this prophetic word that was given to Isaiah. Isaiah, in Isaiah 56, says this. This is what the Lord says to the eunuch who keeps my Sabbath, who choose what pleases me and hold fast to my covenant. To them I will give within my temple and its walls a memorial and a name, better than sons and daughters. I will give them an everlasting name that will endure forever. This is the prophet is doing. When the prophet begins this statement with this word, for this is what the Lord says, it's prophetic. They're choosing to speak for God in this moment. This text is speaking about eunuchs. There's space for them. There's a room for them. According to Jewish law, eunuchs were excluded, out. They don't have a place. It took me a number of times to hear this before it really sunk in for me in these words. It says, to them, I will give within my temple and its walls a memorial and a name better than sons and daughters. So pause here for a minute with me. When there's people who do not fit neatly within the male-female binary, it's painful. They hear things like son and daughter, and they'll fit. They're outside of that. And even contextually in our culture, we, we tend to look down on people who don't fit within that neatly. Meaning, why are you struggling with being called a son? Why, why is that such a big deal? For, for me, I hear God's like, I call you son. I'm like, oh, that's the best news ever. Oh my gosh, look at me, I'm a son. And you hear daughter and you might be like, yeah. Oh my gosh, look how good God is. But there's a pocket of people who don't fit within that binary. And here's God saying thousands of years ago, I'm gonna give you a name better than son and daughter. If that's not kind and gracious, inclusive i don't know what is it's beautiful beautiful if you struggle to accept someone's pronouns or their name they want get over it look at god i'll give you a better name there's room a better name than some of their daughters and this is what being all-inclusive looks like it's not done Isaiah 56, verse 7. So Jesus is, or I'm sorry, the prophet, God, is specifically speaking about foreigners and eunuchs. These I will bring to my holy mountain, and I, will, and I will give them joy in my house of prayer. Their burnt offerings and sacrifices will be accepted on my altar. For my house will be called a house of prayer for all nations. Okay, so this is the prophecy. Isaiah 56. Do you know who said that? when he shouted aloud in the temple, when he was cleansing the temple and clearing the temple? It's the Sunday school answer. Jesus. <laughs> you got it! That's the right answer. So back to Jesus. Before his crucifixion, Jesus steps into the temple and he clears it. 
The other language he uses, he cleanses it in the temple courts. And what does he say while he's doing this? He says, it's written, he said to them, my house will be called a house of prayer. Isaiah 56, verse 7. Specifically speaking to the foreigner and the eunuch. But you're making it a den of robbers. Who? Did Jesus know that, that there was a context to that? That's what inclusive looks like. Okay, now to the early church. The early church is responding by the impulse of the Holy Spirit. The early church is moving like Jesus did, saying that we're doing what we see the Father doing. This is in Acts chapter 8. Verse 26. Now, an angel of the Lord, this is who's directing this whole encounter. This is the one who's moving this. This is the, this is the one who's in charge of this story that we're reading, is God. Now, angel of the Lord said to Philip, Philip was one of the Hellenistic disciples of Jesus. We taught about it from Acts 6. He was serving widows and all of this, but we find Philip again here in Acts 8. An angel of the Lord said to Philip, go south to the road, the desert road that goes down from Jerusalem to Gaza. Lord Jesus, have mercy. Today, in Jerusalem and Gaza, God help. Verse 27, so he started out and on his way, he met an Ethiopian eunuch, an important official in charge of all the treasury of the Kandake, which means queen of the Ethiopians. This man had gone to Jerusalem to worship and on his way home, he was sitting in his chariot reading the book of Isaiah the prophet. The spirit told Philip, go to that chariot and stand near it. <laughs> You know, it's kind of like when the Spirit's clear. And it was written down for us to know the Spirit's clear. Then Philip ran up to the chariot and heard the man reading Isaiah the prophet. And Philip asks, do you understand what you're reading? And the man says, how can I? He said, unless someone explains it to me. So he invited Philip to come up and sit with him. So here's me, Paul's. The Spirit of Jesus, the Spirit of God, who's going to lead all into truth, is directing this whole thing. This is the early church that is written for us. It's an Ethiopian eunuch going to Jerusalem to worship, and he's on his way home reading from Isaiah. More than likely, he was excluded from the temple. More than likely, he went there looking to get answers or to be embraced or to learn more. He was rejected. He was on the outside. And he's traveling home. But who's pursuing him? The Spirit of God. This is utterly clear. He had traveled 1,500 miles to be excluded from the place of worship. Everything about him marginalized him. His skin color, his nationality, his job, and his being a sexual and gender minority. It all excluded him. And as the Spirit directs him, he's reading Isaiah, and he's reading a prophecy about Jesus. And so Philip jumps in with there and teaches him about the good news of Jesus the Messiah. And he shares with him 
So we pick it up in verse 36 as they're traveling along the road. They came to some water and the eunuch said, look, here's water. What can stand in the way of me being baptized? Philip said, if you believe with all your heart, you may. Believe what? You trust in Jesus. You trust in the good news of the Messiah. You orient yourself towards Jesus. The eunuch answered, I believe that Jesus is the Son of God. Or sorry, I believe that Jesus Christ, the Messiah, is the Son of God. And he gave orders to stop the chariot. And then both Philip and the eunuch went down into the water. And Philip baptized him. When he came up out of the water, the Spirit of the Lord suddenly took Philip away. Boom. And the eunuch did not see him again, but went on his way rejoicing. What? So the eunuch's question, what can stand in the way of my being baptized? As we actually said, your skin color, your nationality, your job, your being a sexual and gender minority, nothing stands in the way. Baptism is a sign of inclusion into God's family. It's a sign of inclusion into the fullness of the church. And in the story in the early church, we see this posture of all inclusion. These stories do not answer every question. I know that. You might have 50. But I believe it demonstrates the inclusive arc of God. It's lived out and communicated by Jesus and the early church. This is why it's our posture. So Father, shape us. Let us have ears to hear and to be that community. Amen. So Nate is going to, and the team is going to come up, and they're going to give us this chance to respond together. In the scriptures, it says that there is about 5,000 people that were following Jesus wherever he went. And some of them wanted to be healed like they had seen others. And some of them wanted to hear the stories that Jesus was telling. And some of them were just curious about what all the fuss was about. But it didn't matter why the people were there. It only mattered that they were there. And in human form, they needed food. And just like that, we're all here for many different reasons. Whether we're brimming with faith, or maybe you're in a season where you're comfortably resting in a moderate pool of faith, or maybe you're clinging to a tiny speck of faith, 
Or maybe you're living with no sense of faith at all. But yet we're all here. And it doesn't matter why we're here. It doesn't matter how we came to be here. It only matters that we are here. And you don't have to be good enough to come to this table. And no one in this room is good enough. And that's what the communion sacrament is all about. Because of what Christ did for us, there's nothing that can separate us from the love of God. And nothing that can keep us from being invited to this table. Because this is the place where we're all welcome. This is the place where there's no walls dividing us. This is the place where Christ simply says, take, eat, drink, and remember. And he says it to each one of us. And so this morning, I invite you to come to this table, not because you must, but because you may. Not because you're strong, but because you're weak. Come to this table not because of any goodness of your own that gives you a right to come, but come to the table because you need mercy and help. Come and take communion this morning because you love the Lord a little bit and you would like to love him a lot more. Come this morning because God has first loved us and has given himself for us. And so come this morning and in each other we will see the risen Christ for we are his body. And so I want to invite those who are going to be handing out the elements to come up. And this morning, I'd like for you to come down the center aisle, grab your elements, and then move to the outer wall on each side. And we're going to face each other while we take communion this morning. The band's going to lead us in a song. You can listen and reflect. But as you come forward, grab your elements, and then move to the outer walls, and we'll look across at each other. So please come now. But it seems the harder that I try, oh, the harder it becomes. 
comes and I feel like giving up most of the time Dear God, I've been chasing their approval and it's killing me. And I know the more I try to prove, the less I have to show. Stuck inside my head most of the time. But if I pray a little harder, if I follow all the rules, I wonder could I ever be enough? Cause I try and try just to fall back down again and I ask myself why do I try to chase the wind I should lean into the mystery maybe hope is found in the melody so I want to try again Oh, I'm gonna try again. <clears throat> Dear child, I hope you know how much I love you and I'm proud of you. But please believe the thoughts I have for you will never change or fade away. And when you felt like giving up, I never did. Cause I'm not scared of imperfections or the questions in your head. Just know that you have always been enough. Cause you tried and tried and I saw you wrestle with every how, every why. I was right there listening, so just fall into the mystery, and I'll meet you here in the melody, try just to try again. Oh child, would you try again? You tried and tried, and I saw you wrestle with every how every why i was right there listening so just fall into the mystery and i'll meet you here in the melody try just to try again oh child would you try again my child, you can love again.
On the night he was betrayed, Jesus had a meal with his friends. He took a loaf of bread, and after giving thanks to God, he broke it and gave it to his disciples and said, Take and eat. This is my body, which is given for you. Do this in remembrance of me. And in the same way, he also took the cup of wine and after giving thanks, gave it to them and said, Drink this, all of you. This is my blood of my new covenant, which is shed for you and for many for the forgiveness of sins. Whenever you drink it, remember me. For as often as you eat this bread and drink the cup, you proclaim the Lord's death until he comes. There is a name that is greater than son or daughter. And it is my beloved. And as you look across the aisle, you see God's beloved. And as you look next to you, you see God's beloved. You and I are God's beloved. And we're jacked up. <laughs> and we hurt people. We hurt people we love on purpose. And yet we are beloved. And we have stories that bring us to this place where we stand in need together as the beloved. And so as we take communion together, let's remember that we are beloved by God. And we are beloved together. And so let's take our bread and let's eat, given for the forgiveness of sins. And as the beloved, let's take the cup and drink. This is the body that was broken for us. And we do this in remembrance. And this is the cup of the covenant that is sealed for us as the beloved. And we do this in remembrance. Please pray with me. God, we thank you for the gift that brings us together. Your love has pursued us our whole life long. Thank you for that. You give your life to us in word and deed, even unto death, and even death on a cross. And God, we invite your spirit to feed us with your love, that we might be filled with power to love you, to love one another, and to love your beloved. Anchor us in this truth that you have first loved us. And let it fill us to overflowing 
and out to your children. We thank you for your love that is transforming us through Christ our Lord. Amen. The band is going to lead us out in worship. If you want to join us and you're able to, please do. Thank you.
Thank you, everyone. You're dismissed.